0: And it looks like we are live devin i know it has been quite some time uh, since we've done a show uh, you and i have been missing in action and the podcast in general has been missing in action for the last uh, probably th- 3 months maybe 4 months so
1: yeah oh my goodness
0: uh, that's uh, both of our faults um, myself i've if you're wondering where i've been i'm not dead I've been in multiple countries, um, had a couple of of really big shoots I was working on, and then uh, uh, some some commercial jobs. And uh, just this weekend, I worked uh, 25 hours uh, on an industrial engineering commercial, which was really cool. I I sent Devin the pictures. Um, (laughs) It's like we had a five-story crane, uh, man-lift thing going. It it was pretty sweet. Uh, But... That's where I've been, Devin. What about you, man? Uh, where have you been in the last uh, four months or so? <laughs> uh,
1: I've been I've been working a lot. Um, what's it? Uh, I was just in San Diego a few days ago, not for VidCon, uh, but for commercial client stuff. Um, I also been in um, my goodness, lots of uh, other areas, Vegas, and a bunch of other stuff. A lot of it's actually been working for Red Bull for all the um, events they have, the EDC, uh, the other. Music festivals, Lapalooza's coming up, a lot of that kind of stuff. So, Lapalooza is still a thing? In Chicago, yeah, man. Really? It's still I... doing its thing, yeah. People go, at least I've heard. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I've been working, which has been a whole lot of broadcast work, signal transmission, all that kind of stuff. Um, as long as you're, you know, as well as your typical corporate clients and other really boring stuff i haven't been nearly as busy as dj though so if you want to place blame somewhere i feel like it needs to fall on dj and his uh, i'm just gonna leave the country for a while so see you guys later
0: i was in uh panama for a couple weeks uh belize for a couple weeks uh guatemala and el salvador for a little while uh then um i spent some time on a couple of islands um off the coast of belize and uh in belize city uh doing some uh humanitarian stuff which is kind of fun cool and then uh yeah so i mean i've had a really good time I, I, as you can see i may have enjoyed a lot of beers on those beaches i'm um, slightly <laughs> tan now uh it's also a hundred degrees in in oregon right now so th- that's pretty much it but before we dive into the show notes uh since it has been a while, um, and Devin. W- what are you shooting on right now? And uh, uh, has anything changed with your camera collection since the last time we talked?
1: Oh, no. You want to know if I have a GH5? Uh, no, actually, um, the the situation's been tight. The, the Me being busy is a very recent development in, like, the past month. So I haven't exactly had the resources to get the GH5, but it's been on my list. It's been sitting there. I've been working on rigs. Um, like, uh, I, know, I know DJ's not a rig guy. Uh, this is the current rig I've kind of got going on for a documentary shoot kind of coming up because I wanted something really small and compact and I like that this one half the time I don't even use the handles I just literally like grip it and it stays on my shoulder and I put a gold mount battery on it It lasts for like 14 hours. i probably gonna throw a video about that uh, to DJ Probably in like a week or two going over like how I did that because my favorite part Unlike a lot of people who use like a friction arm for their EVF or something like that, this EVF has that tilting ability. That where it just stays there, but the whole thing is like strong enough. I can hold it by the EVF, which a lot of people wouldn't do if it's on a friction arm. Really? So, yeah. yeah just,
0: what keeps it? What keeps it locked in then, and still allows you to tilt? Is there like a release or something?
1: No, no. It's uh, it's it's that small rig um, swivel thing that you had before, where you had some problems. You posted on the blog. A little piece of plastic. Oh just yeah, in the yeah. wrong spot. It's just the fact of like using that in combination with a handle that allows me to adjust the EVF forward, backward, side to side, all on these NATO rails. And since it's all locked in like that, instead of a friction arm, it gives me the ability to like carry it and use it. Like it, it just it makes it so much stronger, and that's how I like it. I just can't stand friction arms when it comes to EVFs and things like that. So, like well, I said, I'll make we're talking about rings. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and show me your rig because I know you have had a change to your camera situation since the podcast. So by all means, <laughs> go ahead. Um, I, I, I
0: mentioned I've been traveling a lot. I've been shooting a lot on the GH five, and and I'm not as giant riggy as uh, Devin is. I'm still with my traditional handle and grip. Um, I know, yes, hipster wooden handle. Uh, the reason for that, and I'm kind of a little frustrated with small rig right now. They make a, a pretty good uh, GH five cage, as you can see. This fits with the audio. Dash- And so on, fairly nicely. And they have these beautiful upright NATO rails that work out to where the um, uh, little uh, piece of metal that sticks out for your neck strap on the camera is a perfect stopper for the NATO rail slide, which that's good. But the issue is, is Small Rig right now doesn't sell any vertical clamping NATO rails. Uh, yeah. So I've actually had to do some modification. And Devin and I were talking about this before the show. But um, if you know uh, Small Rig's inventory, they just released these cute, tiny. Little small handles. And this is the size of their older handles. Very big, very bulky, uh, kind of a pain in the butt compared to this cute tiny guy. But uh, I had to modify this uh, using a Dremel and a piece from an older NATO rail adapter to actually get it to mount vertically. Hopefully they'll release some in the future, but in the near term, uh, this is kind of my solution. And this is, I think, my new. Uh, go-to design for every single camera i shoot on if you look back here even my uh, sony a7s rig is pretty much the exact same configuration it's just a side handle and the grip and then i've got an extra uh you know a little spot right here to mount the audio unit Uh, but this is perfect guys Uh, I I know over the years we've been going bigger and bigger and Devin's got shoulder rigs and eyepieces you know everything else but uh, this for me has become like the easiest way to travel and these little half rig or half uh, camera cage things uh, are so small and don't get in your way so if you're using the camera for for photography as opposed to video it's not an issue Uh, it doesn't take a lot to pack everything up and it's highly configurable plus this is sort of a natural uh comfortable way to shoot for me and with image stabilization in both the uh, GH5 and the A7S Mark II it's just it's it's a really great way to shoot uh I don't know Devin what do you think am I weird in this in this <laughs> no, approach no.
1: to be honest that's that's what i focus on is totally uh minimizing everything and like well yes a lot of times I'll have kind of a bigger setup and a bigger cage um, It's a different, it it can be a different style of shooting. Uh, In a lot of cases where I'm going, it's something where, you know, say, I don't have a lot of control over light because I'm using something like the rig I was just showing you had the Blackmagic Pocket associated with it. Um, I can't change ISO really quickly. So I really depend on that variable ND. And then once you throw a filter in front of it, you kind of want to shade it because it's going to be really uh, obvious. Um, when, you know, the sun's hitting it and it blows out all the exposure. So there's, there's a lot of, like, kind of situations fixing this, fixing that. And probably one of the biggest ones is just, like, uh, being able to shoot in sunlight, I need to have an EVF that I can stick my eye in and for some people it's not that big of a deal because they can use focus assist and a few other things but depending on the camera you're using that's not always an option so then you're like oh i got an evf well now you gotta power it so you're gonna throw like sony mps on it so like the problem compounds itself and it depends on how far down that journey you want to go there's some people who just kit the whole thing out And then you go, well, why didn't you just like buy a C300 or something that can handle all of this stuff that you want? Uh, Because it's not like the DSLR is necessarily excelling in a certain area where you have to use a DSLR to make it work. So I'm kind of in a halfway point where I don't necessarily have like V-mount plates and things like that to put my gear together. uh, But a small piece of shoulder, as well as using like a 90-watt Anton Bauer battery, will last me somewhere between 9 to 12 hours. And that's not unrealistic for some of the projects I shoot. Uh, for other people, if they're shooting a Sony camera, they'd be switching out batteries and they'd have to go through 12 batteries in a day. If I'm constantly moving, we're in a car, we're going from place to place, I'm not going to carry that many batteries with me and I'm not going to sit here and have an option to recharge. DJ's showing off all of his batteries. (laughs) So
0: these are all, they're falling out of my hands right now, but I've got like 20 uh, Sony A7S Mark II batteries uh, piled up here next to me that are just constantly cycling through the charge. I'm dropping them all on the floor right now. I mean,
1: that's one thing where the GH5 really excels. It still has like great battery life and Sony has not approached that because they're focused on their smaller form factor. But to each their own, it's one of those that for my shooting situation, I tend to work with people who don't give me time to swap batteries, fix things, or charge things. Or it's just not, you know, if we're in the desert for 12 hours, I I can't be running back to the car all the time, charging battery swapping stuff and everything else. So it really depends on the style of shooting. If I'm just going somewhere and I'm shooting for an hour, then I wouldn't bother with all this gear. But currently, most of the projects I'm on these days, I don't have that option. So you kind of got to build it for what you need. I kind of found this happy medium and like I said most of the time I'll even use handles just to keep it smaller and more tight but that EVF is totally necessary for me to uh kill the focus every single time. Um some other people are more talented with the screens than I am but especially like the black of the Blackmagic Pocket screen, that thing's absolutely garbage. There's like no hope to check focus. You can use focus assist but <laughs> how much are you going to check focus assist cuz we all know focus assist can get you in trouble if you trust everything on it. So
0: Blackmagic always has some really cool stuff but uh never mind this is not time for me to complain <laughs> about black magic um i do have one more thing to throw out there i did uh pick up a small uh tiny uh field monitor this is a 5 inch 1080p uh i think it's 1920 by 1200 screen runs on a single uh np battery and th- this guy will do about two and a half to three hours i uh, i don't think you can actually buy this in real life um this came from alibaba so if you're not familiar with the shadier portion of the internet uh there are companies out there that uh uh, sell monitors oem style monitors to other companies who rebrand them and this one's from a company devin and i recognize uh feel world (laughs) which is you know uh, a shining uh, example but i i I paid 300 dollars for this so it's about half the price of a uh small uh small hd uh dp5 or what's the newest dp is it i think it's dp5 Uh, anyway uh, so yeah yeah, so it's it's pretty small and it's high resolution uh but man i tried to run this on canon batteries 25 minutes on two lpe6s (laughs) which which you might as well yeah and they sell it as an option like LPU 6s. Yeah, no problem. You'll you'll be able to run this just fine on any battery type you want. Nah. Okay. And the problem with this thing is the batteries I have to use the MP batteries to get 3 hours are the massive, right. like, uh, you know, several thousand. or whatever, yeah. Yep, exactly. So now the the tininess of this monitor is just lost on a battery that sticks out this far. So I uh, haven't been impressed with this, um, but if you do want to try and experiment with tiny, tiny monitors, uh, this does have SDI as well as HDMI in and out, pass-through, and so on. And then the other thing I've been messing around with, and these are kind of nice, They sell, uh, remember in the old days, I used to use those Ram mount adapters? Yeah. The Ram mount adapters, which were originally designed for cars, are this like ball and socket style twisty uh, adapter system uh, that I had kind of adjunct used for rigging in the early days. But they're really bulky and they're solid cast aluminum, so they're, they're heavy guys. These are cute little $14 versions. They're not rated for the weight, probably... Uh, maybe 15 pounds on the high side Uh, but they knuckle them together with uh, a tightening screw and a little adapter so you can really get a lot of angle out of this in a way that you can't out of a normal friction arm and they fold up to a much smaller uh, space so i've been really kind of falling in love uh, with these guys on shoots Uh, now you mentioned Mm -hmm. the gh5 yeah Uh, for those of you wondering I did actually purchase one. I've been shooting on this uh, since it showed up. Uh, this has gone to many of the countries I listed earlier with me. Uh, as far as battery life goes, Devin, um, this is better than the A7S uh, Mark II. I-, I usually get about like 40 to 50 minutes max out of the A7S on a single battery. Uh, I've been getting roughly an hour and a half, uh, mm-hmm. sometimes two hours out of the uh, GH5. However, there are a few little caveats here. Up until about, what, last week, I think, was the uh, Adobe Premiere release, I've been having to do the thing that I hate the most, and that's transcoding. Uh, Transcoding is the bane of my existence. I avoid it at all costs. I pay extra to have SSDs and a giant system so that I never have to deal with that crap. And the GH5, I took it out on several shoots where I actually (laughs) needed to turn... Turn around uh, video fast, and guess what? Now I'm having to transcode because 10 bit 422 does not work in Premiere Pro. Uh, not they, well. <laughs> well, it was crashing my system. I wasn't even. I was getting red screens uh, when I was playback. And now, one thing I did figure out though during this uh, uh, long, uh, boring process of messing around with Premiere, trying to get it to work with the GH4 footage or GH5 footage, is that. There is actually QuickSync available now in Premiere. D-
1: did you know that, Devin? No, I didn't know because I thought for a long time Adobe forgot about it because Intel reached out and said, hey, we wrote a pl- plugin for you guys, and then Adobe did nothing with it. So you're telling me that it's built in now?
0: Uh, yeah, so if you dig around in the menus, and I'll try and post a picture in the show notes, uh, there is a CPU uh, speed enhancement setting Uh, in one of the General Settings tabs uh, that is basically Quick Sync enabled. Uh, The problem is, uh, for whatever reason, my 4790K that I'm running in this particular system uh, does not like uh, to work with Premiere, and that was what was generating a lot of the red screen errors and playback errors I was getting out of the GH5 footage initially. Uh, which I don't know why that is, but I spent probably two days uh, on the phone and uh, doing live chat with Adobe to get that sorted. Uh, I have been transcoding to DNxHD or uh, yeah DNxHD for the uh, um, uh, GH5 footage, and now with the update, uh, Premiere has gotten better, but. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've tested any footage on Premiere with, uh, or GH5 footage with Premiere, but it's still a little bit uh, kludgy. My system isn't performing nearly as fast as it normally yeah. does, and playback and uh, rendering times have, have kind of been a little iffy. Um, and then on top of that, you can't uh, set your footage playback to half or lower resolution. The only way it works properly is at full resolution, which... You know now you don't have the benefit of reduced resolution for uh, editing so right uh i ha- i'm not happy with it yet as far as editing goes and i've been switching back to uh, shooting uh 8-bit uh because of that on the gh5 which is unfortunate because one of the exciting things is that you have uh, more color space and-, and that's kind of a slap in the face for me i, I don't know Devin, what do
1: you think is-, is that is that the right thing like do you I, think no, coding is the way to go or well, am I, I, I just lazy i think we knew the gh5 was going to bring some kind of growing pains whether it was h265 encoding or it was some other kind of codec i had a feeling that in order to take the next leap in quality uh, we are going to run into something and this 10-bit yeah i didn't think premiere would really have that much of an issue with 10-bit seeing as how premiere just has in the past been able to scale to 8k and do all these other amazing things pretty pretty quickly and pretty well everything considered uh in this situation though yeah i'm Kind of disappointed. The Intel QuickSync seems to be moving in the right direction, but this still seems to be a pretty early adoption. Like, it's not fully hashed out. Then again, I mean, this is kind of becoming the way that Premiere is because uh, Premiere is very quick to roll out features, which is great, but it also means, too, that we're going to get features that are not fully fleshed out on everyone's system, which brings, again, a warning to everyone that, like, hey, if you're in the middle of a project, don't update your system. Keep it the way it is until you're done with your project because – uh, as DJs had in the past, it can cause some real serious issues. So kind of unfortunate. Um, the little bits of 10 bit I've played with, I've noticed really bad timeline performance when it is working. It's one of those that I imagine will get optimized over time because I feel like for the system, even the system I have, but especially too for the system that DJ has, it should be performing better. It shouldn't be performing as well as 8-bit, but there should it should be performing better, and we shouldn't have to take away options in order to use things like Intel Quick Sync and everything else. But those might be kind of a, a limitation of uh, the hardware and the way. I that never stuff works.
0: had any issue with GH4 footage editing at all. Yeah. Period. It was never an issue. No, no matter how high a bit rate I was shooting at on the camera. And then the GH5, you know, uh, as soon as you go to 8-bit, you're fine again. So. It's just—it's frustrating. It seems like Adobe wasn't ready for it. Now, the release that's out isn't just for uh, uh, GH5 owners. Uh, it does—it's a critical update. So there's a ton of stuff uh, for like the XC10 as well as the C500 and, and some other cameras. Uh, they've also added uh, some codec support and uh, fixed a few things as well as crashes that were being caused by a uh, thousand frame per second footage. So. <laughs> If you're a high speed shooter uh this is probably something you look forward to too okay. uh, also um i was having some uh preview issues uh with regular footage uh on the previous iteration of Premiere, and had to, actually had to go back one generation and it turns out uh there was some sort of error in premiere where the preview files uh were not linking correctly and then your media so- disappears yep exactly it
1: fantastic
0: it was, yeah, it, was <laughs> it was super frustrating i've i've had a lot of like you notice my hair's thinner guys um i've been pulling <laughs> it out uh, working with premiere lately it's uh, a frustrating frustrating uh, time, but uh, I still pay my six hundred dollars, and Adobe still thumbs their nose at me and says, "Whatever, uh, thanks for being a customer." <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, that's unless you have any questions about the GH five. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really a full review. I'm just kind of you know, it's there, it's it's square. I like it. Um, yeah, it's
1: the, the audio adapter sounds good, right? No problems yeah, oh, there.
0: Yeah, the audio adapter is great. Uh, the only complaint I have. is is there's no way to uh, mix channels in the device. Uh, so with a lot of this style of adapter, you can switch it over to one in, and then you can feather the volume for one and two channel, and it just maps the channel over, or one channel over to both channels, uh, left and right. Uh, with this, you have to use a Y cable. In order to yeah. accomplish that, so Y cable in and then uh, yeah, and set your levels. You're
1: totally right because even back to um, what's it? The DVX 200 and the PD 150. Even all those old mini DV cameras had that kind of switch, and I can't think of a system that hasn't had a mono switch in it. So that's kind of interesting to hear it didn't have one. I thought it did.
0: Yeah, I saw that and I I was a little bit irritated, but you know, it's 3.99 uh, for the adapter. Uh, it works great. Um, I did uh, make an attempt, and if you, I don't know if you can see this on the video or not, but mine is a little marred uh, right huh. here. I did uh, mod an adapter and attempt to test out the uh, audio adapter on both uh, the GX85 as well as the GH4, uh, which, uh, if you read, Panasonic's uh, initial literature they said the GH4 would actually support this adapter. It does not. And the, the GX85 even though it has the correct pinout for it, uh it's a digital signal as soon as it hits these pins unlike Sony which is an analog signal through the pins. So there is uh no workaround whatsoever. Even uh, I basically just modded and ruined a uh, hot shoe adapter. <laughs> <laughs> to, to see if I could get it to work and, and it doesn't so uh, hopefully that helps a few of you if you were thinking that might be the way to go it does not work I've tried it and that's it um, it was a fail uh, but it does sound really good and it is convenient and it's not nearly as big as I thought it was going to be if you look at this it's not a huge, monstrous thing sticking up over the top. It's actually pretty small. And it latches on nice and tight and feels pretty decent. It's plastic, but it's not bad. I- I- I'm I'm fine with it, especially when you come from beach tech and uh, sure. all these uh, other audio adapter boxes that mount to the bottom. Uh, and with stuff like this coming out for every camera, uh, Sony has one, uh, GH4 has one, I mean the GH5 has one. I'm sure we're going to start seeing this uh, uh, from Canon soon. I feel bad for companies like JuiceLink Link and Beach Tech because they might be going the way of the buffalo uh, soon <laughs> if... Uh, well, they
1: gotta, they, they got to pivot and figure out what works for them, and I think that a few of them know that, and you can tell they've already started pivoting towards uh, smartphones. Uh, I mean, like small sidebar, if you've seen the, the Slingbox, um, I've seen setups of it, and I've heard even guys who work in broadcast for smaller clients, smaller events talking about using like five or six iPod touches, all wirelessly connected to a sling box, and then using uh, either like Rode microphones for them, or these like Juice link kind of audio interfaces for their you know iPod touch or whatever. And then in an event, they can hand them out to people who don't know anything about cameras, and they just run around and get shots, and the sling box records ISOs, and you can do live cutting, send it to Twitch, Twitter, whatever you want. So. Um, I think that that's a way that they can go because uh, if they can bring good audio to something that normally has terrible audio like a cell phone. Uh, that's, there's still a market there and considering how many vloggers are now using things like an S7 to shoot on and other things like that. We may see vlogging, which is not something I participate in, but is a pretty big market. We may see that start shifting towards just cell phones. Because it's convenient, it's small, and with a few adapters, you may be able to get that production quality you're looking for out of it. So I wouldn't necessarily say that they're going to disappear overnight, but um, yeah, if more and more people start doing this, and especially Canon, a huge chunk of their market share is going to go.
0: Now, let's talk about market share for a second uh, in the graphics card department. Uh, Devin and I, uh, before the show, uh, d- in fact, Devin and I haven't had an actual conversation for about a month or so. And so it was good to, uh, to banter with you before the show. But uh, if you guys are in, and this is kind of not camera related, but if you're into <laughs> GPUs, uh, Devin and I both have a bunch of higher end GPUs uh, for editing and uh, GPU assist editing. And it turns out that if you're not using your system while you're out shooting, uh, bitcoins are you know the blockchain currency basically has become a thing again and we were actually talking about possibly selling off some graphics cards i want to show you guys uh, this right here when i bought this guy for my gaming system on my uh desk or you know on my television because i have a, a mini atx system uh, it was 310 dollars uh, this gtx 1070 is now up to 509 dollars thanks to uh uh, e, or, uh, uh, blockchain currency and nice hash I think Devin is that the, the one uh, of choice yeah. these
1: days? Uh, a lot of people are gravitating towards nice hash uh, don't take me as an expert in the field but nice hash is a situation where people are paying for hashing time rather than you directly hashing a pool if that doesn't make any sense to you but you want to learn more go ahead and research it because it's long lengthy and I'm not even sure I could describe it that well what that means but nice hash does seem to be the community that everyone's gravitating towards the payoff are really good. If you have something like a, a 1070, like he's talking about, and you run that all day, it could be, depending on the price of Bitcoin, anywhere between three to five bucks a day. Uh, so that that can kind of add up over a while. Obviously, you're adding another hundred watts or so to your electric bill, and there's other things you need to consider. It's not so cut and dry. Uh, but yeah, I bought a 1070 Founders Edition for $310 probably a month ago, and now I can't find one under 500 so wow. it's, um, it, it's crazy out there because I wanted to grab a second one. I was like, oh, you know, this mining's working out pretty well. Let me go ahead and buy another one. But everyone is buying them up, and uh, they're really hard to come by. So not necessarily editing related, but sure, if you've got this hardware and you don't mind running your computer kind of at full tilt all day, uh, you could make a couple bucks from it, maybe make some money back on that investment from that graphics card.
0: I think I might have to sell my uh, Titan XP. Uh, it's going for $2,000 right now. Now would be the time. <laughs> Everyone yeah, I, wants I, some, dude. <laughs> I, I want to say I paid 1100 bucks for it. I... I i can't believe it's people doubled dude, in price that's people nuts.
1: it's it's crazy because you'll even find rigs on ebay man we're so far from the cameras right now but <laughs> <laughs> i know we gotta end this quick but you'll even find on ebay people use things like uh pci express risers which if you build computers you'll have an idea what that means and they'll just build a box out of wood or like aluminum beams and they'll just slot in five or six graphic cards into each pci express port uh because the pci's don't really they don't need really like pci 3.0 to like mine stuff so they'll actually run like five graphic cards on a box um, at the same time. So people buy these cards right now in bulk and are selling them in bulk and are even making prepackaged solutions for mining. Um, I don't necessarily like encourage going down that road. Like I said, you're not going to make a lot overnight and the market's volatile. But hey, if it really doesn't cost you too much um, using something like NiceHash uh, which can also, you can set it up so it runs idle or and it stops running when you touch your computer again. Uh, you know, maybe a way to kind of like make some money back on your investment or, you know, scoot aside a little bit of money in cryptocurrencies if you're just kind of interested in, you know, putting a little bit of money in that direction, seeing where it well,
0: goes. Well, 7 seven to $10 a day, that would be 100 bucks every 10 days. Or, se- yeah, let's say 100 bucks every 10 days. So in a month and a half, you could probably pay for your GPU depending on fluctuating prices, which... right. Mm, that doesn't sound too bad to me for like a mid-level uh, 1070 or a, a 1080 Ti. Uh, I don't know though, man. Uh, <laughs> I I could easily step back to a, a 1080 and get rid of the XP and still be just as happy. I think in Premiere and make uh, a lot it, more money. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it right it, now, yeah. Uh, I mean two grand maybe that's another uh, gh5 and finally replace my gh4 which is still a trusty animal now while we're we're on those two cameras uh, back to cameras um i do want to mention one thing that i have noticed with the uh, gh5 that i did not have a problem with the gh4 i was doing a car shoot uh a couple weeks ago and I used some suction cups and uh, you know one of those weird like extension arm things that you tighten down, adapters to mount it to a windshield to get the driver. And I didn't think about it, and I'd left the mic attached to the camera uh, right here just pointing at the talent while they're driving. You know what you wouldn't expect to happen uh, from the GH5 uh, picked up audio wise? Uh, camera noise? No, the rattling. Of uh, the in-body image stabilization system really yeah yeah and not even uh not even joking um because the mic was i I mounted it like right here Mm -hmm. Uh, i ended up uh, you know there wasn't a ton of dialogue so i just ended up doing adr but the thing is i wouldn't even thought about that you never have that problem with the gh4 because it doesn't have any in-body image stabilization but if you rattle the uh the gh5 around uh, it'll make a, a noticeable clicking noise as it's rattling especially at certain rpms as the car is turning corners and stuff there's a certain speed that a certain vibration that
1: really carries mm. it away yeah
0: yeah so oh, wow. uh, that was one weird thing so i probably will be holding on to my gh4 uh, just for stuff like that which is it that's not the end of the world it's just sure. I, I didn't even think about it you know it, it wasn't something that crossed my mind and the other thing I want to uh, mention, too, the GX85, uh, you know, that's actually been my B camera a lot of times uh, instead of the GH4 just because it's so darn tiny and adorable. That that <laughs> camera uh, has as good an image as the GH4, and you don't have to worry about no in-body image stabilization and if you're not using uh, onboard audio, then it's not really that big of a deal. Uh, and the camera can be had, I think, for $550 right now. So uh, something to look at if you're looking at sort of a
1: lateral Are you move. Are you liking that more than your LX100 then? Uh,
0: it's, it's become my kind of travel <laughs> camera some of the time. I love my LX100. I still use it regularly. Although somehow I managed to get hair inside of the lens and there's what? no way in hell to clean that out. <laughs> so on the lx100 it's a fixed lens camera Uh, as it moves in and out it creates a vacuum Mm, okay and if you're in the wrong spot at the right time it'll suck crap into the lens chamber and then good luck getting that out because you'd have to disassemble the entire body i am looking at modding my lx100 to add an audio jack and oh. if I do that um, I will uh, post some videos uh, but it involves yeah. uh, getting into a ribbon cable and trying to splice oh. into that which oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, may not be the best thing. I still haven't seen any new LX100 uh, news. Uh, I would love an LX100 Mark II. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the LX100, it's one of the few point and shoot cameras that actually has a full size uh, micro four thirds lens or uh, 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 sensor inside the camera and a great uh, f18 to f2.8. Uh, 24 to 75 zoom range which is the perfect freaking 4k uh hand handy cam shooting at random and in body image stabilization the lens looks really nice it's got a macro uh, feature on it that's very handy and it also takes uh, really decent 12 or 13 megapixel pictures uh so you have a great travel camera and you don't have to carry a big crap around now I've kind of diverged a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's get into the actual news here. Uh, Devin and I have been away from each other for so long that we're kind of just nerding out on random crap. Uh, let's look at this real quick. I don't know if this is true. I've seen a couple posts on this, uh, but there are rumors floating around uh, that the 5D Mark IV uh, may be getting a firmware update uh, that could possibly uh, crop the uh, reduce the crop factor down to one27 in uh, 4k mode and uhd it would reduce it down to i believe 1.39 or 3.4 or something like that uh that update uh has not actually materialized and this has kind of just been in the forums and so on uh but that's one of the biggest complaints i had about the uh, 5d mark 4 when i did own it is that its crop factor put it in a gh4 Ballpark, which yeah. is annoying, is all get out. And at the same price as the 5D Mark IV, you could also buy a 1DC uh, used, which, you know, then what's the point? You know, there, yeah. there, maybe the touchscreen, which was. Kind of nice, and the the uh, facial recognition and and focus tracking were both decent features. Uh, I don't know. Uh, with this update, though, Devin, what do you think? Is the 5 d <laughs> back on the radar? Uh,
1: you know, I wouldn't say necessarily. I'm kind of curious, though, why it's it's come to this. It seems like, man, this would be like when the product launches, especially if people are talking about it being an issue. Um, you'd almost think that this would be like the first firmware update that gets released as the product is going out because I could kind of understand maybe marketing thinks oh this isn't that big of a deal even though that's the only reason why people shoot on 5Ds is for that full-frame look Uh, marketing department may be mistaken and be like oh it's not a big deal we can do you know 1.74 crop and it's gonna perform better and it's gonna have better lighting that way and things like that but uh, to see this after the fact um, especially after all the news about it has kind of died off and people have started to look away from it. Uh, they may be trying to draw attention back, but uh, as we've already discussed, like, it, shooting with the codec that is... Because uh, it's it's like a JPEG, right? It did... Um, what was the codec again on it? It was something different. It yeah, was like I, motion JPEG? It was an MJPEG? Yeah, it's motion,
0: it's motion JPEG, and that's the same thing that you get out of the 1DC. So yeah. uh, the the file sizes are ginormous, and right. uh, you, you definitely had to transcode with that, which is um, a kick in the nuts again for me. I, I do not like transcoding. I was just complaining about that.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it, it seems like to me, especially for them increasing the price of the 5D, the motion JPEG, seems to just be a byproduct of the fact that it has jpeg encoding on board and they probably from a marketing standpoint was like it's cheaper if we put uh the chip in there that does both our jpeg encoding and a video version the motion jpeg encoding rather than like previous 5ds where there's a whole separate uh processor for doing that h264 encoding so i to be honest i don't think it makes it any more attractive uh because back in the day you bought a 5d for that full frame look and it going aps-c size kind of still makes it being like well then why not just go to a 7d or something like that it's it's you know it's just there's nothing drawing it to it and i don't think canon cares i think canon goes you know what we just came out the c200 all right you want to shoot videos by one of our video cameras i really think that um there in terms of innovation on the video side uh the first 5d mark ii did something amazing and they don't care about recapturing that magic they just already became established and they're just working on other products to better serve that so not good or bad i'm just saying that this is kind of too little too late for converting anyone at this point
0: do you think that uh, we'll see 4k in the uh, 6d mark ii because uh, it's about in that time frame for that to be announced and
1: possibly released i would i would say so because uh really well i mean 6d was a pretty up until we started talking about Sony a7S II and everything else. The 60 was a really popular camera, especially for the YouTube scene. Um, for vloggers and things like that. Everyone's really gravitating towards that 6D. Uh, if they really? I off- thought
0: the 80D with the flip-out screen was the big hotness for <laughs> vloggers anyway.
1: It, it, there, I feel like that was like short-lived. I feel like a lot of people who are out like trying to make good content, making short films or shooting like reality projects and things like that, if it wasn't a 5D, I saw a 6D. Unless they didn't have newer gear and they're using like an old 70 or something like that. But I saw the 6D used a lot. Lot, on a lot of different sets when it wasn't a 5D and it was a Canon shoot. So, them coming out with a 6D now, I think they'd be really stupid if they didn't throw a 4K in there um because I saw a lot of productions on a 6D. I'd say probably in the past couple of years as many as I've seen on 5Ds. So, uh, it's just my it's prediction not often to see Canon in shoots anymore, but when I do, it's one of the two.
0: Here's my prediction. I bet we see a firmware update for the 5D Mark IV. It gets uh, 1.27 crop, and the 60 comes out with the 1.7 crop, and bam, now you have a reason to have a lower price tag on the 60 versus the 5D Mark IV. That would make sense from uh, the weird thinking of Canon. And uh, before, the 60 was a little bit. Um, uh uh, inhibited they had poor uh autofocus system it was i think it was the uh 17 point crosshair uh uh, autofocus and then everybody said it was full frame but if you actually look at the specs for the 6d it wasn't full frame guys it was 98 percent full frame uh they always like skimped out a little bit and if you ever uh did head-to-head comparisons with the 5d mark III and the 60 uh that was a sort of annoying thing because you couldn't quite get the same frame. field of view out of yeah exactly yeah. and and i i didn't know that until i was trying to shoot one for one the exact same thing and, and realize wait a minute what is this and you'd dive deep into the specs and it's almost full frame (laughs) you slap your forehead like really are they just uh bidding the sensors that had some like scuffs on the side and throwing those in the 6d Uh, canon yeah jerks yeah Um, i will say though i wish there was a good canon camera that i actually wanted because guess what guys i still have all of my l glass uh, that i shoot on all the time you'll notice there's uh, uh, micro four thirds adapters on these guys um i use them on a regular basis i love my canon glass i would love for there to be a camera that made me go buy a canon camera again something that's innovative but <laughs> canon and innovation are like arch enemies they, they just do not want to hang out together right now and it makes me Uh, really frustrated.
1: It's true, I think they're sitting on their loins, and I mean, I don't mean to, like, cause a big cannon bashing thing, but, um, I mean, the C200 is kind of an interesting product, and I think that that, I wouldn't necessarily call it innovative, but I'd say that that's grabbing a piece of the market they didn't have before. While Sony is pushing low-light um, and you got red pushing resolution and things like that, you really got Canon just sitting back being like, hey, we've got Canon color profiles. And like, I mean, legitimately speaking, uh, the kind of color that comes out of Canon cameras, generally speaking, it looks great and it's fantastic. And I rarely like look at it and go, uh. And sometimes I do that with Sony. Sometimes I get footage from a Sony camera and I kind of go, uh, really? But uh, Sony's still pushing high frame rates and everything else. Um, panasonic of course is trying to push kind of that feature for price point thing uh... even though the g h five is two grand which is the most expensive gh they've made yet uh, i think we can all agree they're still trying to push as much as they can for that price point so i've seen a lot of innovation everywhere else it's just not coming from canon and i think that's because canon has still has a large market share for what it is and i think the c three hundred that's exactly what they want they want to sell three c three hundreds they price it to sell Um, and there's still a lot of people using C300s, uh, even Mark ones, even ones that don't shoot 4k. Uh, so I feel like they just don't think it's important to have such a small camera. And like when they threw out that XC10, that was kind of garbage. They came out of the second version. That was a lot better. Uh, but that's kind of just their response. It's like, no, no, we don't really care about 5d being a video camera. We have all these other video cameras go shoot on one of them. So I can't say that's necessarily bad, but i am you're right. There's very little I'm getting excited about when it comes to Canon. Besides a lot of people who just love C300, they're like, oh, C200. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? And I'm like, I'm not seeing anything new. I'm just seeing what's probably going to be a solid product that doesn't require too much firmware updating. And that's it. Because that's one thing. Unlike Blackmagic, when Canon moves a product, it's very rare for them to fix things with firmware. It tends to just work out of the box. And there's something to be said about that where Blackmagic tends to be missing features out of the box and we'll get to it maybe next year.
0: Uh, so you mentioned one thing and and i wanted to back up a second uh you mentioned you know when you get sony footage that is so true (laughs) um uh, shooting on the gh4 and gh5 and then the a7s uh, mark ii uh, the dynamic range and color reproduction on the A7S Mark II is just not as good as other cameras. It is an amazing low light camera, but the uh, the images out of it generally tend to lack a little bit of the pizzazz that you get right out of the camera without hardly even trying on any Canon product or even the GH5 or GH4. I, I think it's maybe the sacrifice to get that low light performance that is is causing that that issue. Mm-hmm. And it's not that bad. Like generally speaking, you can color correct and, and do a little bit of pushing and post, and and, and get it to look fine. Uh, but it, right out of the camera, like every time I look at at a seven S footage, it's like yep that's an a7s for you Uh, that red doesn't pop nearly as much as i'd like it to and like Uh man a lot of my contrast is kind of washy and like not not really very crisp and
1: punchy and sometimes there's some weird green tones here and there in the color space too
0: yeah i've had some strange light performance but you know If I'm shooting with, like, two lights in the middle of the night, then A7S it is. You know, there's there's no other option out there for that type of work. And uh, especially if you're a documentary shooter or uh, you have to kind of, like, sneak into places or you're just lazy like me and you don't want to carry enough lighting uh, to do the job correctly, uh, the A7S, bam, it's for you. Uh, Next thing on the list, Evan, uh, since the last time we talked, Mm -hmm. there's been a bunch of CPU releases and in the past, uh, Intel was kind of uh, the, the man uh, for anything above uh, four-core processing. I mean, technically, you had the uh, AMD Bulldozer, which was pseudo-eight cores. Yeah. Uh, but it, it worked similar to the hyper-threading that we were getting from Intel. Uh, but then we had Ryzen released, which uh, the 1800X... Is Buku cores mm-hmm. uh, has all the PCI lanes that you can shake a stick at, and now uh, AMD is is talking about the th- I think it's the the ripper Yes, th- if that's that's the real name. Yeah, that's or a real it's name. Actually, yeah. <laughs> it's a like a four thousand a twenty two pin chip that actually has uh, four die CPUs on the processor or on the chip, and it's a. Uh, 32 cores, if I remember correctly? Yeah. Uh, that's nuts. And and so we have that. Um, that's an incredible value. The 1800X can be had for around 430 to $450, which is a bargain for the number of cores it offers. And Intel is fired back with uh, sort of a strange barrage of Xeon processors that have been adapted uh, for... uh for consumer use Uh, yeah the i9 790x is a 10 core part uh which is actually impressive um if you check out some of the early reviews uh this guy is performing as fast as the 770 or 7700x uh and it is also all of the cores so you're getting peak single core speeds that are, are extremely fast you're getting tons of threads uh and it has dropped the price of intel's higher end uh, cpus this is a thousand dollars as opposed to i think wasn't it eighteen hundred or two thousand dollars for the previous yeah. top end i'd say about uh, that extreme edition uh so uh, that's a good thing and it. It suffers from the same um, gaming and multi-core latency issues that uh, the Ryzen X 1800 was dealing with. Uh, But for people like us, video editors, uh, all the cores is all the goodness. Uh, If you're not a gamer, then that doesn't really matter. So how do you think this AMD Intel war, which we haven't actually seen something this heated for about maybe eight years, seven years, since the Athlon series? Yeah, probably
1: (laughs) Athlon X2. Yeah, Yeah. it's... I tell you what, it's good, because Intel, kind of like Canon. No, I'm joking. I don't mean to keep it on <laughs> Canon. Uh, but Intel's been doing very small incremental things, and they haven't been innovating. I mean, they've, like the Intel Quick Sync and things like that have come into play. But th- that's relatively old technology. I mean, that harkens all the way back to uh, Broadwell, or whatever it was before, for Ivy. Ivy Core, something like Ivy that. Ivy Bridge. So, yeah, Ivy Bridge. So that's, I mean, they haven't really done much since then. They haven't tried to improve even the onboard graphics. Those, I mean, not that anyone expects a lot out of that, but still there could be improvements to be made, I think.
0: Um, well, it seems like they've been focusing more on power consumption for uh, right. mobile devices. So a lot of the CPUs have moved uh, uh, down the watt usage so that battery life in, in uh, uh, Dell XPS 13s can get up to, you know, eight hours, nine hours of battery life. Right. But and that, and the that, top end has kind of suffered.
1: Well, and that's, that's been about it because all they've been doing is kind of tweaking and optimizing and tuning uh, because, you know, we're kind of hitting a physical limit on how small we can make a processor just because you run into a quantum problem of electrons hopping over, you know, walls and crap. So really complicated stuff I don't understand. But the uh, AMD, this is, I think, perfect for them because their whole bread and butter has always been huge cores. Um, I'm currently running a server in a server farm with two Opterons, which is an AMD server class and they're really old. I think I got those CPUs for maybe 80 or 40 bucks a piece and they have 12 cores a piece. And I got two of those inside of a server motherboard. So I have 24 cores inside of a server motherboard. And it's great, especially in server applications because you're typically doing stuff that can really expand with multi-threading. For us, I mean, for a long time, especially like before Premiere went 64-bit and everything else, the software is finally catching up that it can really use every single core it can get its hands on, which isn't something that we've had for a long time. That's been a new development in software. I mean, even video games still don't really do multi-threading. And that's why a lot of people are like, oh, you play video games? You don't need so many cores. Um, So the fact that our software is getting, our video editing software too is getting to that point, I think is the kind of thing that'll help Uh, things like 10-bit processing and things like that to carry along because exclusively i think really only 3d modeling software and occasionally things like after effects has been running multiple threads Uh, so seeing so much uh greater access to that and software that can use all those cores i think that's where amd really like is just in the right place at the right time because they know how to stack all those cores together and how to make them work pretty effective effectively intel I I just don't consider this to be a real upgrade considering the cost and everything else. It's one of those like wait until the next generation because I feel like this is a knee-jerk reaction just to stay relevant and just so that people can't point and be like, dude, look, AMD totally crushed this and Intel did nothing. (laughs) I I think Intel at this point, as silly as it sounds, I think this is really just a branding move. It's just like, hey, we're coming out with new stuff too and then really the thing they've been working on for probably four or five years will probably come out next year or whenever it's ready or something like that. Whatever they have working on in the background, because these companies always got something going on. That's how they stay relevant. (laughs) Um, I'm sure that that's not gonna come to the forefront until it's ready. And I'm sure they just weren't ready to drop it yet. And AMD kind of hit it first. So,
0: Well, their announcement was like a vomit of randomness. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. we're, you thought i7 was enough. Now we're going to go up to i9. And uh, we're going to further confuse you with like four number and letter combinations of processors that go all the way down the stack. And, oh, by the way, you know, 10 core, 16 core, uh, 8 core. You know, you you num- name a number of cores. We've got them. We're, we're coming for you guys. We, we've got what you need and it's like what what really what the hell what what is what is going on what is your strategy where are you at and and in the meantime like amd didn't uh vomit out a bunch of crap they just released one really solid uh lineup you know the ryzen and then they just bend it down the the stack so every yeah. ryzen cpu it's basically bend for uh frequency but then y- you get all the pci lanes you don't have to worry about any of the compromises that intel has been doing where you know you're lacking uh, uh y- 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 you go with too many io devices and now like maybe you can't have another graphics card in there uh it- it's yeah it's really weird. And uh, now the, the one thing I do want to ask you, Devin, um, uh, with the, uh, I think it's the two, uh, 2011 platform, uh, is, I believe is the socket set. Someone's going to correct me. 2011 I V3,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, V3 for the uh, uh, i9. Uh, that allows for, I, I think, up to 128 gig of RAM. Now, that is one thing that you are limited to, uh, as far as I know, on the uh, Ryzen 1800X is uh, uh, 64 gig Max. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you think that is uh, a problem for people that are uh, getting deep into After Effects and uh, uh, more uh, labor intensive uh, video editing?
1: Uh, After Effects, a little bit. I feel like really all those cores are really, I mean, I'm sorry, all those gigs for RAM is really useful for people who are into the 3D modeling and things like that. Uh, Because having all that texture and model data, it needs to be sitting in RAM to effectively do any kind of rendering or previewing or anything like that. Not that uh, After Effects couldn't use it, because After Effects does suck up RAM, uh, but uh, most of that RAM usage I see for After Effects is mostly like doing your uh, your preview renders and things like that. It just uses it as a cache drive, uh, which then, yeah, the more gigs you have in your cache drive, the more you, know, you can kind of see at one time uh, with your preview render. But After Effects is kind of developed in a way that it doesn't need that RAM to perform where i see things like maya and 3ds max and things like that actually need that ram in order to get the job done so i could definitely see that being a huge deciding factor if somebody's developing a workstation where they really need that much uh but i even on bigger projects i still struggle to see why after effects would need more than a 32 gig setup Uh, i mean that can change if you start going like 8k and you start going ridiculous then yeah you need ridiculous hardware to keep up Uh, but i think for most of us who are still doing uh, 1080p productions and occasionally some 4K work uh, 32 to 64 is kind of plenty for After Effects unless you're going crazy with it and you know who you are so um, so yeah I don't, I, I don't think that that's huge for us but that can be huge for some people who work in the 3D world
0: So, uh, speaking of companies flailing around, uh, let's talk about another one. Uh, We all know GoPro has been in a weird place. Um, If you look at the Hero 5 Black Edition, uh, the price is now down to, I believe, $350. Yeah! uh, Which is... Uh, staggering considering it was at f- what 500 plus uh, originally uh and the Short session load. has fallen yeah it's, <laughs> it's fallen down in the in the pricing range and uh, a number of other uh, hero products have, have kind of uh, dropped in price or dropped off the map uh, some of their cheaper ones are, are starting to dry up on amazon uh gopro comes back <laughs> with fusion uh which is uh, their 360 uh camera solution uh this is based basically a small square with a camera facing both directions. And I don't know if you've watched any of the videos on this, Devin, uh, but I kind of got this weird, um, watch what you did last week in three dimension (laughs) vibe from the the videos. It's like, Oh, I'm enjoying this sandwich. I'm shooting this on my GoPro fusion. And then I can enjoy the sandwich again by watching it in 3d, you know, like
1: what? Yeah. Okay. I mean, Oh man, it, it, I felt like uh, every, every two weeks we'd, we'd have this discussion about um, 360. Generally speaking, it's one of those where they're making a product before I think there's really demand and Samsung's done the same thing with their 360 rig and then their 360 headset for their phones to fit into and everything else. It's, it's one of those that it's, it's cool and probably one of the best uses I've seen of using 360 to somehow tell a story was uh, a YouTuber named MatPat was talking about Japanese culture. And so he did a whole VR 360 rig thing for going around Tokyo and doing a bunch of these different shots. And he also like made graphics that worked in 360. And like it, it was a well-put-together package. But after I took off the headset and I experienced the whole 360 thing, I was just kind of like, I feel like this would have been way more interesting if there was a more variety of shots and there were some macro shots and there were close-ups and I could better see the faces of the people who are talking. I'm not saying that like the experience is inferior to doing you know, uh, more traditional camera work, but it's one of those where it's definitely different. And I don't think it's found its place yet on what's really perfect for it. Um, In GoPro, I think it makes sense though, thinking of it as a GoPro setup where you can put a camera somewhere and as long as the quality is there, which it hasn't quite met it yet. And we haven't necessarily seen raw what the GoPro Fusion can do, but if the quality is there, you can kind of set up a camera and pick the shot afterwards, uh, which can be really good for things like where you would use a GoPro. Whether it's like race tracks or you know biking trails or other things like that, uh, as well as kind of there's more stabilization options you can get because if you think about it, you kind of have infinite electronic stabilization uh, because you have infinite you know uh, 360 views. So. With all that considered, I I think that there is a place for it in a more traditional production as well as on its own for people who want to do that. So is it going to kind of pull GoPro out of the funk? I don't know. I mean, if they deliver really great quality and it's at a reasonable price, and I'm just talking about traditional GoPro pricing, maybe 500 or so, um, it would be the most expensive consumer 360 rig that's a single camera unit if they've gone for that price point, 400 or 500, we don't know yet. But if it delivers on the quality like we're talking about a full 8k or something like that uh then that may be enough for people to look at this in a more professional setting where they're like oh i can set this up on two up to the dude's helmet and then take whatever shot i want i uh, think like in uh, the really cool camera shots they like get in formula one nascar where the camera is can high pan? enough
0: resolution to do that though because isn't this uh 5.7k uh
1: you know if that's that's what i think too, but. They, well, I couldn't nail down. What Maybe you're if you're going about, about to the
0: 1080p, I suppose. Yeah.
1: But well, not I, not a 4K pool because that not would but, look like but crap. I, I'm talking about, like, if they had, like, a 4K on each side, and they may downsample it in the final spherical image, because oh, yeah. we don't have specs on it. And, like, what's a 4K? Is it 4K what I'm viewing, or is the whole sphere 4K? It gets annoying the way all this stuff works, because no one can figure out how to talk about it. But uh, it's one of those where, like... Think about the cool shots you get in NASCAR where the camera on the back of the car can actually pan left and right to get the other car approaching it, you know, from whatever angle it's coming from. Imagine being able to do that in post because you shot it with a 360 camera. So I definitely see that this could fit somewhere and be useful even for people who aren't interested in doing VR or 360 work. Um, uh, But in that regard too, I think it would work well. So this could be something that really pulls GoPro out of the funk. Um, but once again, they're kind of hush-hush and we don't even know the pricing of it yet. I think that'll be a huge determining factor.
0: Yeah, this is still in the works. Um, look forward to many uh, people lifestyle videos. <laughs> vlogging. You know, yeah. More vlogging, more people, uh, skateboarding, skiing, uh, snowboarding, diving, all those things. Uh, it's interesting. I, I hope GoPro bro survives, uh, but with uh, cameras like the Yi 4K Action Cam Plus uh, coming out, uh, there isn't nearly as much room in the market. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, the Sony... Uh, x3000 i believe uh which is the one i have been using quite a bit uh, has the built-in image stabilization which is much nicer you no longer need to worry about a three axis gimbal for your action cam if you're doing that sort of thing love that guy and it's down to 350 as well so it's giving the uh gopro hero 5 black edition Uh, run for its money although GoPro does color their image a little bit better out of the box even if it's not as sharp and doesn't have as much detail Uh, now uh, speaking of wide angle imagine for a moment if you will Devin close your eyes and imagine a really wide lens Uh, and then give it an f1.8 aperture Uh, that's what you're going to get from the new Sigma 14mm f1.8 this guy will set you back about $1600 which sounds extremely expensive and it is, uh, but if you look at the traditional pricing for extremely wide Canon lenses, $1,600 uh, fits pretty decently into the slot with what you would pay for, I believe, Canon's 14mm F, I think it's an F4, I, I used to own it, I don't anymore, so I'm flailing at the size, but... Uh, Sigma has basically been filling in the gaps. They have a 14 millimeter F18. Uh, they have the 20 millimeter F18. Uh, they have a new uh, 16 to 35. Uh, wide angle coming pretty soon art Mm -hmm. and uh you know they hit it out of the park with a lot of their primes uh what do you think about sigma's lens offering and do you think we're ever gonna get the dang things in a sony fe mount
1: you know i don't think they're concerned with sony fe i feel like we would have seen the sigma by now uh the 18 to 35 uh do it by now but or is it 18 to 24 Uh, But, Uh, yeah, I remember it's a short throw. Uh, But just for comparison, I mean, the Canon 14 millimeter 2.8 is like two grand. So that's what Sigma's doing here. They're producing faster glass uh, that still has great performance, and they're doing it for a little less than what Canon's doing. And I think that that's going to work really well to establish them in the future. Uh, I'm excited for it. It's not a piece of glass that I'm going to buy immediately right now. But especially considering renting rates and the speed of it, and to have something that wide and that fast, you just don't come across it. It's a really unique look, um, and it's it's one of those that I like to use. I don't own one, as weird as it is, but I, I that's the one I rent most, is usually a really wide, maybe it's an ultra-wide zoom or something, but something really wide and pretty fast. Uh, I like it for doing a lot of wide cinematic shots and things like that, uh, but... Uh, You know, I'm still not at a point where I spend that much on a prime that's super wide that I know I'm not going to like use for every shot compared to something like a 24 to 70. Uh, I
0: love my uh, my my seven to uh, 14 millimeter F 28 Olympus lens. I know. Uh, And in fact, I'm using it right now for the shoot. Um, It's great. Look at this very little distortion in the corners. It's super Uh, sharp. Super sharp, uh, beautifully made. It is a monster as far as Micro Four Thirds lenses go. But I love wide, Devin. I, and I use even though the um, the F uh, or the uh, Olympus uh, 8mm eight millimeter f one8 is fisheye. I even like that look. It, it, you know, it's a little bit skateboard, but uh, sometimes you just really want an awesome, dramatic wide uh, coming into a location, uh, especially. The the one thing I use my um, uh, my Olympus uh, uh, seven to fourteen for uh, uh, exclusively is real estate videos. Uh, when I'm doing real estate videos, because it doesn't have the distortion in the corners, you can do these beautiful uh, full room shots with very little space. And show the layout of a room, show the layout of a house, uh, and you don't have to worry about uh, uh, missing some of the the stuff going on along the edges. It, it works really well for that, and. If you're into either real estate photography or you're doing um, some of the, in my area, $500,000 homes and million dollar homes that are willing to pay you a couple grand to come in and film their house for like a walking tour, that is perfect. You will blow their minds with this lens and uh, only two shoots and it could be yours paid for. (laughs) True,
1: true. That's, and, and that's that's what I'm excited about. Their art lens are super sharp, and I've heard no performance or quality problems with them. Uh, I think Sigma is just hitting it out of the park with, I don't know, let's call it their own version of L-series glass, because I think that's what their art series basically is. What do you think
0: about... Uh, uh... And I just lost my train of thought. Never mind. <laughs> I, I read Scully's post in the chat, and uh, or Scully's post in the chat, and I got distracted. Uh, okay, moving on. Um, oh, no, I do remember. All right. Uh, what do you think about the bokeh in, in some of these Sigma lenses, though? Um, it's a little more smeary uh, than you get out of Canon
1: L series lenses. Do you think that's a, an okay compromise? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say considering the price for me i i kind of know what you're talking about but it's, it's got not... kind of
0: a weird like smudge effect yeah. uh, with canon you kind of get this beautiful sort of orby uh effect and it's not quite as defined in that manner in the bokeh that comes out of the sigma lenses i don't hate it it's just a it's
1: a, a really different sort of subtle look that you i yeah it, you're totally right i think that the canon uh performs better in that regard um for me, generally speaking, that isn't enough to justify the price difference. I'm mostly concerned about the kind of uh, sharpness and therefore also contrast that the lens can achieve. And Sigma's got that where it counts. So uh, I know exactly what you're talking about and I wish that I could have that too. Uh, But considering the kind of price gaps we're seeing between the Sigma and Canon glass, that's a happy compromise I'll make considering everything else.
0: All right, this next one I'm going to throw to you, Devin, because uh, I generally have stopped paying any attention to the Ursa Mini. Not that the Ursa Mini is bad, guys. I know plenty of happy Ursa Mini shooters. It's just big... And it's not my thing. Um, you know, I go a little bit more light, uh, low light than ISO 800. And so uh, I'm not into it. But it doesn't mean it's, not a, bad, it's a bad camera. Blackmagic has been doing really well lately uh, with uh, fixing things and, and not releasing half-baked stuff anymore. Um, so Devin, uh, Ursa Mini iPad app. Uh, yeah. to go along with that for full control. That actually does sound kind of cool. It's, it's,
1: you know what? It's, it's, but it's a, short, it's a short story. They came up with a firmware update. They turned on the Bluetooth chip inside of their camera. And now if you have an iPad, you can download the app. As far as I know, it's only on the iPad, though, which doesn't seem to make wow, sense because wow, wow. it should be on an iPhone and other things. But I, I know the iPad store and the iPhone store, they're different kind of applications. It's not like Android where a lot of them are cross-compatible. So I've only seen on an iPad, and I think right now they only have it as an iPad in the iTunes store. Maybe the iPhone version's taking longer to get approved or something. But there's no video preview, uh, which kind of stinks. I, I don't exactly expect it through Bluetooth to have, like, full real-time yeah, control. Yeah, you don't have the bandwidth yeah. for
0: that on bluetooth even 4.0 is is pretty limited but
1: even uh you know an image that shows every second or something like that so you could just see exposure or something you know would you want that
0: though that would just piss people off
1: (laughs) i guess i guess either way it's really cool to see that finally um this kind of feature has been turned on and they're enabling it's really exciting for people who have the ursa mini pro um it's it's hard to say exactly every situation you'd use it but i could definitely think of a few times where Uh, especially if i'm setting something up and i'm in front of the camera and i'm doing other things that it'd kind of be nice to pull out a phone and kind of change shutter speed or do something like that Uh, but once again that's one of the advantages of this camera is that it does finally have a switch for basically everything you need on the camera either way exciting like i said not a whole lot to say other than like hey that thing that they talked about doing they're finally doing it uh but also the can the camera 4.4 update includes a bunch of like little fixes and little problems that it's had so if you are a shooter um, that's definitely a required upgrade because it's going kind to. Of, you're finally going to get things.
0: audio level meters congratulations
1: all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right so uh,
0: so on the on the black Magic front um, the pocket mini it was a beloved darling for quite some time and it is now what well, i think that was released in 2013 or 14 so it's going on uh four years old Uh, do you think we're gonna see an update to that at some point in the near term because they've kind of sort of been dancing around it uh getting close with some of these um weird studio style cameras with like ipad size screens and so on but we haven't seen uh, other than that uh no screen you know um Mm -hmm. gopro style interchangeable micro four-thirds camera we haven't seen any pocket updates do you think that's coming
1: uh you know that would be next on their list but seeing as how the ursa came the ursa mini came out and then they quickly came out the pro to address a lot of the things people didn't like about the ursa uh, it makes me think that's kind of the market they're moving towards uh it's it's hard to say i mean there's no news on any front that i can see that says anything close to it my gut says we'll probably see some more studio cameras before we see another pocket one uh they they really haven't dropped the price since they initially did that 500 dollars drop for a month uh so i imagine if they were moving towards that we'd kind of see some sales we'd start to see them trying to move some units but as it stands right now they just seem to be maintaining the status quo for their mini cameras that being said like their studio cameras the weird ipad thing uh having looked at that system further because i don't know if i've talked about it on the podcast before a brilliant system if you're looking to set up some kind of live streaming cheap studio solution its ability to work with those cameras i mean you run two sdi cables one for the camera send one for the return from the box and those cameras will have built-in uh comm system uh and it'll also have the ability to preview like program output out of the switcher and things like that uh the whole system is pretty freaking cheap and it uh it allows for uh so much ability for you to kind of scale up your production and do 4k production and things like that so if you're in the business of trying to like build a studio and build a production and you don't have the kind of money to go out and like get like a hurt system and all this other fancy gear uh black magic may be a really great solution for you because they have a lot of great stuff um but and that's another one where that they call that a studio camera and that's because um that guy doesn't do any onboard recording now you can kind of make it your own thing but hey if you get the black magic seven inch monitor you can record 4k out of that through the sdi um, well, then it refuses to be like a mini. If you have to attach a giant, uh, you know, four K recorder to it. I feel like
0: there's a rule that um, a camera should be required to record its own crap. Uh, (laughs) You know, like, you shouldn't have a camera that isn't capable of some kind of internal media recording. Uh, Maybe it doesn't meet its, like, highest resolution, and maybe you have to use an HDMI out or something uh, like that or an SEI connection. But it's asinine to me when you pay $1,200 for something like this, and, (laughs) you know, they they didn't bother to throw in a... uh, A a micro sd card slot so you maybe you could
1: record 1080p
0: what really yeah well
1: and it's one of those that i was thinking about upgrading to um the 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 newer version of the pocket cinema which um doesn't have the screen on it because i go oh well i always have an evf with me uh but i thought about the kind of pain it would be to move through the menu system and everything else while using the evf and i've just decided against it because the 60 and 1080p isn't something that my clients are asking for and it's not really that much for slow-mo compared to other options out there so even that camera i haven't bothered upgrading to because i haven't really seen much of a need for it so you're right it could one be around the corner very likely um but the fact that like the ursa mini is kind of focused on their studio gear the ursa mini pro because it integrates really well with their switcher units um, it makes me think that they're kind of staying on the TV broadcast side of a lot of, uh, studio gear. And that's probably where they're seeing a lot of their money spent and their cinema side, maybe kind of falling to the side. Cause after all, uh, the Ursa was kind of a hybrid cinema camera slash broadcast camera. The pro yeah. is a straight up broadcast camera. Like you, you can do cinema stuff with it, but the whole B four mount and everything else, it's built to be kind of studio and that's most of what you're paying for. So if you buy it to only do cinema work with it, it seems kind of silly. Um, But all that being considered, like their 2.5K, 4K cinema cameras, they stopped with those and they haven't developed that product line at all. So I feel like I don't know whether they think that maybe the solution is kind of middle of the road where it's both a broadcast and a cinema camera. Uh, But that's the direction I see them moving right now and i'm sure most of their gear actually gets bought in bulk for studio building rather than just these one off shooters like panasonic focuses on and canon likes and everything else
0: hey uh devin i think your audio is starting is to go crackly man is uh, it crackly? you may have you may have the USB driver issue of death where uh, once it's on for a little bit, I, I thought it was just me, but a couple people in the chat room are are mentioning that uh, you have gone a little iffy in the audio quality department. Uh, one last thing I wanted uh, to touch on and uh, while Devin quickly fixes his audio, uh, I kind of feel like slow-mo has, has, has run its course. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, for a while it seemed like everything I saw uh, somebody had to put a 120 frame per second slowed down shot in there or I even uh, saw a couple music videos uh, uh, from friends of mine where it was almost 100% slow-mo and and at some point i i don't know slow-mo's kind of jumped the shark for me it's it's become the next 3d i'm i'm kind of sick of it as a cinema tool and i, I maybe i'm alone in this and i generally get booze and and uh, the finger when i'm like yeah i use slow-mo loser but it, it's become like the next bokeh almost where you know shallow depth of field for a little while like going to f12 was the way to go for everything no matter what uh it, now it's like slow mo is the tool for everything. Uh, Devin, what do you think? Am I wrong? Like uh, slow mo still pretty awesome? No, or?
1: um I'd say slow mo is actually. It, it really depends because I think for things like uh, Facebook um, and uh, not Facebook for music videos and things like that, uh, it's it definitely has its place, and I think it's really important that uh, for slow mo um, that you have a reason, storytelling wise, to kind of use it because. It's it's one of those that it's really overused in a lot of the action hero movies and everything else. And it's it for me, uh, all this consumer gear having slow mo, which is not a bad thing. I'm not saying like oh it shouldn't. uh, No, Uh, all the slow mo gear being in consumer, uh, the consumer market makes sense, and I think it's great because it just provides another angle for your storytelling. But you're right, in recent times, it kind of feels like when sliders came out, and then everything was on a sliding shot, and there was no reason for it. Um, it, it's one of those where if it's used effectively, absolutely. I'm thinking of times that slow-mo is used in things like, um, uh, what's that, what's that, uh, popular drug movie? Um, the popular drug. movie. Yeah. The one with the, the snorry cam remember, um, the the really famous one everyone talks about gosh i don't know why i can't think of the uh, name of it
0: are you talking about uh, a clockwork orange no no or, no are uh, uh, you talking about uh, train spotting no the uh, the
1: one with the, the they got Snorri cam on it it's more recent than that man if even i can remember the Blow? director's name No, nah, but either way either way there's there's times in like a, a lot of movies where uh, especially like during the 90s when just like not everything was slow mo cuz film cameras could green for a dream there we go see someone new uh, thanks Sully uh, so it's it's things like that that I, I can think back to a few times in that movie where slow-mo was used absolutely perfect and it felt right and it evoked even more emotion out of that shot and out of that scene um So, used properly, it's absolutely right, but I do know there's just people who shoot everything in slow-mo, and then there's music videos I watch where every other shot is slow-mo, and it just loses its impact and effect. So it's like any other piece of storytelling, if you just sit here and use it all the time on every single thing, then it won't mean anything. In the same way that, like, you may feel, oh, I can make this more intense by making every single shot an extreme close-up of my characters, but then, The extreme close-up loses weight because you're not having that variance. It's just like music. You need rises and falls and things like that. Why do you think, like, the bass drop is so important? It's because it's that, like... Transition—it's that doing something different that's way different than what it was doing before. So just like, just like you're saying, I know exactly what you're talking about slow mo because I've hung out with so many shooters that are just like slow mo this, slow mo that, all this kind of stuff, and I'm like, that's really cool. But then after like thirty seconds, I'm like, it, it just isn't important anymore. It's just the rest of the video.
0: I have one slow mo go-to move, and that is dropping something from height. Uh, I <laughs> for for whatever reason. I feel like sometimes I need to uh, pause and let the dialogue, the dramatic dialogue that just happened, like breathe for a second, and just cut to a character knocking something off of a table or something falling to the ground and clattering on the ground in slow mo. And and I don't know like why I want to do that. I, I hate myself for doing it. Uh, but I've used that same uh, composed shot probably like eight to ten different times in the last three months and i'm always like you know what would be great right here um go ahead and just knock that fork off the table with food on it and i just want a slow-mo of it hitting the ground and and like splattering because it'll it'll signify the the destruction of a relationship and and human agony and they're like yeah that's really deep i'm like no it's 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 so
1: cliche (laughs) right but but part of it too is the 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 slow-mo in that kind of situation like you're saying there is a reason for it it's being driven that choice is being driven somewhat by the story maybe as cliche as it may be but um, at least then it's kind of like the audience's irony of like they see this falling apart, they see this breaking, and just the fact that you're making it slower just makes it feel more like the audience is like trudging along into this like inevitable place they don't wanna be. So it, it all of it has its place and you know, it's, it's all relative, you can make up excuses for anything, but uh, I think we can both agree. It's like with the story behind it, you know, there's no reason not to do it, but also too, there's some people who are just like, my camera does this, so I'm gonna do this all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i'm uh I've, I've actually got a um uh, i'll be flying out uh at the end of july for a two-week feature length uh shoot and uh, um, we were going through the shot list uh, last week over Skype, and and like slow mo shot, slider shot, uh, technocrane oh, shot. Yeah, it's like it's what the hell, guys? Come on, can we just can we just get this dialogue scene done? What the hell do we need all these shots for? And like finally, I was like, all right. Every time you put in a slider, I get to take out a slider, and I'm only going <laughs> to allow ten slider shots in the scene. So then he actually you know the the director actually started thinking about like uh, what's going on in the yeah, scene do and like, use it. Like you have do the i first really want to use it because uh, uh, especially on an indie shoot where you don't have a ton of money and uh, uh budget is tight like you waste a crap load of time uh, moving sliders from position to position yeah. setting up having people move around and then changing your position again whereas uh, sometimes with dialogue i just go in with two handheld cameras we we shoot everything uh, uh, twice, uh, sometimes three times with the dialogue delivery, just to be on the safe side. And bam, we're done. Move on. You start putting all of these, uh, and they do look beautiful. Like I love a good technic shot when I can get one, or if you can get away with that, great. Um, uh, uh, wheeled back where like you keep revealing new things, and you can you can go as long as you can with a moving camera. I, I love that too, but we're on a budget guys and we're on a time frame. and you want to pay people by the hour. Well, that costs money. We can't F around with all these slider shots and all these crane shots because they require setup. They require effort (laughs) and that's not in the budget. It's it's one of
1: those things, man is like, where do you want to put your time and resources and what's important for the story? One of the most telling things for me was uh, watching, I think it was, the last season of Project Greenlight or something like that. They brought it back for a season. And one of the kids, the guy who wanted to direct his piece, just absolutely had to have it on film. And they're like, we don't have the budget for it. And he fought it. And then finally they went, okay, you can either have, I think it was like three more days of production, or you can shoot it on film. And he's like, I'm shooting it on film. And so then he shot the entire thing on film. And then stuff fell apart And even though they didn't say it in the reality show, I just thought in the back of my head, you know, you could have really used those extra three days of production (laughs) to fix all these problems that now you're in post and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. Imagine if you had extra days in production. And it's the same thing like you're talking about. You spend all this time making sure everything is, you know, some cool shot or something like that. And it's like, wouldn't it be better if you got extra lines of dialogue or you got a few extra shots on a tripod you wouldn't have gotten otherwise because you're busy setting up and building up cranes and stuff so uh it's it's super important and i know everyone keeps thinking i need this cam for my short film and i need this for my short film and everything else and it's like dude sometimes it's better to just kind of ignore that because you don't need it right now focus on the story and focus on what's important
0: Now, I I don't normally plug my own stuff on the podcast and I generally try not to uh, uh, sales pitch anybody uh, out there that uh, enjoys the YouTube channel. But um, I I will say that uh, uh, recently uh, a bunch of my stuff, uh, my old crappy feature length films that I've worked on over the years, uh, have made their way finally onto Amazon after uh, the rights have been relinquished back uh, to uh, Dead Lantern Productions, uh, which is one of the groups I work with. So... If you want to watch some really shitty horror films, uh, those are available for rent and purchase on uh, on Amazon uh, now, uh, on demand as well as in, I believe, physical media. So uh, there you go, guys the one the one <laughs> plug you'll get from me on my future length ever. stuff uh, ever. I try not to because uh, no one likes shitty horror movies, and no one wants to There's watch this. There's a market. There
1: is People a market. Like there
0: it. is a market, and uh, we continue We'd to have like it. money. It's just that uh, you know when you do like a high end commercial, you don't want to like mix that clientele with like a twenty thousand uh, dollar a feature like film that, that has like gore effects that were were a little suspect done, or you know some of our production times were yeah. <laughs> were, uh, were overtime that was unpaid. And if the uh, Actors Guild got a hold of us, uh, I would probably be, uh, be dead by now.
1: How, how many times have you seen the room?
0: Uh, only once but yeah. uh, you know I love the idea of uh, so I, I believe okay the production company that did the room also uh, I believe bought uh, um, what's the one where the house is haunted and it's like a um, a shaky cam deal and they just did the uh, the girlfriend the one. Where uh, um the like the boyfriend goes crazy and like kills or tries to kill her after a while but they do that thing where they're always in one location or as few locations as possible and they never change anything and it's always like it always takes place in like a house an abandoned building yeah. Yeah. and they never leave it um pho- oh one of the first ones I ever saw that was like that remember phone booth yeah I remember phone booth phone booth like if you guys aren't familiar with it it was a it was shot all around the last phone booth in new york and like uh, there's almost no scene changes at all through the entire movie it is the smartest way to make a film i have ever seen and the guy who has developed this production method is a freaking genius even if he makes a lot of shitty movies yeah sorry Uh, back to room so anyway continue I was just saying
1: I've probably seen it like three times one time was with the mystery science theater commentary Uh, there's people who love watching these kind of films so don't judge yourself too hard because I'm sure there's people out there who absolutely love going through this shit and there's probably some people in the audience who love it too All
0: right, guys well we have um, given you a longer show than I was expecting and uh, I'm glad that everybody is glad that we're alive Uh, Devin We'll be back hopefully next week yeah, uh, with another show. We will be. And uh, I'll rope Mitch back into doing shows again once we get our schedule nailed down. Apologizes for all of the equipment errors. Uh, I haven't had this stuff hooked up in several months, uh, so both of Devin and I had to frantically figure out how to connect things together. Uh, but, Devin, where can people find you? You can
1: find me on Twitter at DevoCuts or Instagram, too. I do that, too.
0: And as always, guys, you can find me at DSLRFilmMove.com on YouTube, where you're watching this right now, on SoundCloud, and the podcast can be found anywhere podcasts are distributed. One Lone Dork or DJ Sharton is the keywords to look up. And thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We will see you next time on another exciting episode of DSLR Film Noob Podcast.